But for the cross of Christ, there's little hope for bearing the judgment for sin. Pastor Xavier Reese. At the ninth hour, he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, verse 3. God's wrath fell upon Jesus for me, not for himself, for me. It was a sacrifice of love, not of vengeance, not of wrath, not of condemnation, but of love. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Just before declaring His ministry on earth was finished, Jesus cried to heaven, My God, my God, why have Thou forsaken me? And coming up, Pastor Xavier makes some close observations of the severity of that moment when communion between God the Father and Jesus the Son was lost. It's the simple truth suffered on our behalf that we'll be discussing with some critical lessons surrounding the cross of Christ. Let's listen. There are some important things that Mark teaches us here regarding the cross, which I hope will clear up your own biblical understanding about the cross. Because so often we look at the cross as Christians as if it's just where Christ died and that's where I was forgiven and that's all there's to it. But there's much more than that. The first thing I want to point out to you, we find from verse 21 down to 28, is that the cross teaches us certain things about man, very important things. The first thing we see in verse 21 is that religious men cannot bypass the cross of Christ. Here you have Simon the Cyrenian, a religious man, a godly man as far as we know. He's come from Africa to the feast. According to the law, every male Jew had to come to the three feasts a year. You had Passover, you had Pentecost, you had Tabernacles. Here he comes. He's prepared himself. He's come to worship. He's come to offer sacrifice. And he's walking by and with all that that's going on, and he cannot bypass the cross of Christ. Here the centurion compels him to bear the cross of Christ. How often religious men think that they can bypass the cross of Christ thinking that they are good in themselves and sufficient in themselves. Because they belong to some denomination, they belong to some church, their name is on some scroll, and that they do not have to confess or embrace the cross of Christ as so-called sinners. What a mistake. Because the Bible says even demons believe, but at least they tremble. Do you tremble? At least they have the good common sense to tremble. There's a second thing. It says that all men are walking towards death. Look at verse 22. They brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. The skull represents death. How we try to evade death as Christians or even as human beings. But look at the obsession of denying. Not escaping because we can't escape death of denying that death is even part of life. Hair implants, liposuction, breast implants. I mean, you can get and do whatever you want. What are you trying to say? You're trying to say, hey, listen, I'm not going to die. I don't want to die, and I'm going to do the best not to die. And yet, death is part of life. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man to die once, then the judgment. And everything you see in our society in the United States says, hey, you don't have to die. You can be young forever. 
We want to escape death, but we can't. The cross teaches us that. We're all headed towards death. But there's one more thing, and that is that evil men are not excluded from the cross. And they crucified him also with two robbers, the one on the right and the one on the left. Now, you see, the cross excludes no one. It makes no difference who you are, what you've done, the depths of sin that you have been into. There is no sin. There is nothing that has touched you or you have touched that God cannot cleanse you from and make you new. This is what the cross says. So important. So we have a proper understanding of what the cross says. Otherwise, we turn it into a cultural cross, a denominational cross. Paul says, the height and the depth and the breadth of the cross, the love of Christ. Wide, high, deep, sufficient. But the cross teaches us a second thing. The cross teaches us certain things about salvation. In verses 28 through 32, the first thing it teaches us is that salvation will be misunderstood. Verse 29 and 30. He said, those who pass by blaspheme him and wag their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. You see, they misunderstood salvation. They were only understanding the physical aspect. They thought that Jesus was speaking about the physical temple, but he was speaking about his body spiritually being raised from the dead. And yet how many people misunderstand salvation? They think that salvation is just simply a, a, a way to, to change one's life here just for right now, just for themselves. Salvation has eternity in mind, first of all. But secondly, salvation does not have in view just you but it has in view others. Salvation is to radically change my way of thinking and way of life. How I respond. How I deal with people. How I extend myself. Radically different. Secondly, it tells salvation is love for others and not self. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at verse 31. Likewise, the chief priests also, together with the scribes, mocked him, and among themselves they said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. How prophetic. That's exactly why he couldn't save himself, because he was saving others. Who did Christ die for? Romans 5, 6 says, the ungodly. You and me. He didn't die for a moral group. He didn't die for people who loved him. He didn't die for, for people who, who are selfless. He died for the ungodly. That's heavy. And so we see the salvation is for others, love for others, not simply myself. That's what Christ saved you from, love for self. And he has saved you to have love for Christ, and through love for Christ, you have love for others. That's the only way it's possible. But there's a third thing that the cross teaches about salvation. And you find that in verse 32. Salvation is a commitment to the cross. He says, let the Christ, the king of the Jews or Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him revile him. It was a commitment. 
The commitment had already been made in Gethsemane in chapter 14. Not my will, but your will be done. The nails did not hold Jesus on the cross. Love held him on the cross. The physical possibility of him coming down was no problem. None whatsoever. But the spiritual commitment made it impossible. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and so there was no negotiation. There was no tempting. There was no desire. Because the decision had been made. Your decision has been made as you come to Christ. Your commitment now has to be lived out. In every area of life. Don't live one life in the church and another one at work or at home. There is no secular and no sacred. Everything is sacred to the Christian. No difference. And though we may fool each other, we don't fool God. There's a third and last thing that the cross teaches us. And we find that in verses 33 through 41. And that is that the cross teaches us certain things about God's judgment of sin. In verse 33, God's judgment of sin is a severe thing. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. From 12 noon, Jesus was crucified at nine in the morning. From 9 to 12, you had man's wrath towards Jesus. From noon to 3, you had God's wrath poured out upon Jesus. Why? Because he became sin. You see, God's judgment of sin is a severe thing. as a day of darkness. It represents gloom, destruction. Read the Old Testament. The day of the Lord is a day of gloom, darkness, judgment. Wrath. And yet some people have the nerve to say, well, you know, when I die, I'll, be in, I'll go up to with the, the man upstairs and, you know, he'll, he'll look out my life. He'll balance it. Oh, God help you. You will be like Belshazzar who read the writing on the wall. It says, meanie, meanie, tekel you farsen. You have been weighed and you have been found wanting. Men without Christ think that the judgment of God is going to be something very light. The picture is always of gloom and darkness and severity. For we will stand before an awesome and holy God. But secondly, in verse 34, it teaches us that God's judgment of sin fell on Jesus. At the ninth hour, he cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1 and verse 3. Why is Jesus crying out? Because he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 1 John 2, 2 says he became the propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation goes back to the Hebrew context of sacrifice. The high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and spread the blood on the veil and the mercy seat and it would be propitious, it would appease, it would satisfy God's wrath. God's wrath fell upon Jesus for me, not for himself. And he bore my pain, my suffering, my death. And he was God. He became a curse, Galatians 3.13 says. Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. The word forsaken in Psalm 22 means to leave down. The idea is to desert someone in a set circumstance that is against him. 
Now listen to what I'm going to say. I can't tell you how Jesus was separated from the Father because I don't think I can understand it. But communion was broken. For the word forsaken teaches it directly and indirectly. Whatever happened was devastating. And it happened for you and for myself. And I believe when we get to the other side of eternity and we really understand what that broken communion was about, we're going to be broken, so broken that we won't even believe it. Because I don't think we can appreciate the full love of God on this side of heaven. Though by God's grace, we are able to appreciate and experience it to an extent. But it was a great sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice of love. Not of vengeance. Not of wrath. Not of condemnation. But of love. In verse 37, God's judgment of sin was satisfied. That's what the cross teaches us. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. They thought he was crying out for Elijah, but he was crying out for God. Jesus gave up his life. Jesus said in John's gospel, no man takes my life. I have both power to lay it down and to take it up again. He told them many times, hey, I'm going to go die and I'm going to be risen from the dead. And by the way, I'll meet you at Galilee. Don't be bummed out. <laughs> God's judgment of sin was satisfied. John 19, 30, it says, it is finished by the mouth of Jesus. What was finished? The payment for sin. It was finished. This is what the cross teaches you and me. I don't need to do anything else for sin. I can't do anything else for sin. I'm just to leave it alone and trust the work of Christ for my sin. And so I realized that sin was dealt with at the cross. Thank God. Offer once and for all, the book of Hebrews says. But there is something else in verse 38 and 39. God's judgment of sin was made the way possible for man to come directly to God. For he says there, the veil of the temple was torn from the, in two from the top to the bottom. And then the centurion who stood opposite him saw and he cried out like, uh, uh, like this as he breathed his last breath. And he says, truly this man was the son of God. God's judgment of sin made the way possible for man to come directly to God. In the Old Testament, you had the veil, and the temple was that veil. By the way, the ninth hour was 3 o'clock, and the priest was in there in time of prayer. And God took the temple, the veil, and he rented from the top to the bottom. How would you have rent the veil if you walked in from the bottom to the top? It declared that it was God's doing that he was making the way for man to come to him. No longer the need of a priest. No longer a mediator. I hate religion who says, this guy's my priest. I confess my sins to him. He's better than me. No way. That's an insult to the sacrifice of Christ. I am a pastor teacher. God has called me. But you stand before God and you have a right to go with him directly. You do not need me. The veil was rent. Hebrews 10, 19 and 22 says that was his flesh that was rent. The way to the holy of holy was now made. Anybody can come to God in the name of Jesus Christ. We do not need a, a, a bridge builder, a go-between. Thank God for that. 
salvation and no other name but Jesus Christ. No mediator but Jesus Christ. And so if you're dependent upon a virgin, a saint, or a priest, or a carnal, or anyone else, you're going to find yourself in hell. Because Jesus is a mediator. You need to know that you have access to God. The book of Hebrews chapter 4, 15, 16 says, Come into the throne of grace boldly to find help and grace in time of need. The veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, showing that it was God's doing. But the veil from a man's eyes are now removed so that he can call upon Jesus. The centurion said, Surely this was the Son of God. You see, now God, through the work of His Spirit, is able to remove the veil from your eyes if you don't know Jesus. Remember Peter confessed that Jesus was the Son of God? The Son of the living God there at Caesarea? Unless he would be puffed up, Jesus says, Listen, Simon, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, he has revealed it to you. And so now God seeks to reveal his Son by the work of the Word and the Spirit. You cannot come to accept Christ. You cannot conclude in your own mind that Jesus is the Son of God and that His death saves you unless it is a work of the Spirit of God. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 says. It's not through a bunch of intellectual arguments. It's not through a lot of archaeological evidence. It's not through a lot of manuscript evidence. It's because you hear the word of God and the spirit of God convicts you and you see yourself as a sinner and God says, I love you. I want to forgive you. I want to make you new. And you respond by the grace of God. That is biblical salvation. And so often we're trying to convince people into the kingdom of God. Listen, you convince them in the kingdom Somebody will convince them out of the kingdom. <laughs> you need to be born again. You need to open your heart to the work of the Spirit so He can show you what the cross really means. But there's one more thing that the cross teaches us here regarding God's judgment of sin. God's judgment of sin causes me to respond in service. Verse 40 and 41. You have there women who are looking from afar. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the less, and Joseph and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee and many other women who came up with him in Jerusalem. Mary the mother of Jesus was there. Her sister was there. Many others. But the key word here is ministered. You see, as I look at the cross... It teaches me that God's judgment of sin causes me to respond in terms of service. Whenever you and I interpret the cross as just a self-benefit that now I'm saved and I find a church and I just go in and go out and just get a lot of knowledge and do nothing with it is a wrong understanding of the cross. God has saved you, and hear me well, to serve. The word minister here, we get our word deacon. It means a servant or a waiter on tables. You have been called to serve. In what capacity and what potential is your responsibility to seek God? God has given you certain gifts, certain abilities, and talents. Some are natural and the others are supernatural. 
and you fit somewhere in the body of Christ. You're a foot, you're a hand, you're an ear, you're something. But your service primarily is to reach out to the lost. And in reaching out to the lost, you will edify the body of Christ in service. And yet for the most part, the greater percentage of the church of Jesus Christ today sits and does absolutely nothing. Do I say this in anger? Nope. Do I say this because it's happening here? Nope. Why do I say this? Because this has been the case throughout history. Christians sit. We can learn from the pagan. They really believe that there is no God. Their lives show it. We as Christians are to believe in God and our life is to show it. And the greatest way that we show the world that we believe that there is a God and that he's coming to judge the world is that we are busy bringing others to Christ. And so some important things that we have to understand. But you make sure that you're obedient to God because you need to know what the cross says. Grab a hold of these things that are here. Is this what you understand by the cross? Is this what the cross communicates to you? Or do you have a different idea of what the cross is? What does the cross mean to you? You or others? Which is it? Secondly, are you clear of what the cross says about man? about salvation, about sin. These are but few of the things that I want you to observe. But not just observe them. I want you to mark them well and bury them in your heart. And then go be a doer of the word. I want to see God bless you. I want to see God use you. I want to see you bless others in here praying for them being sensitive to them. I want you to have vision for the community, for where you live. I want you to be praying for this ministry. I want you to be praying for me, that God would give me wisdom and direction and guidance, that I would be sensitive to what God has. I want you to trust God for what God wants to do in this ministry. More than he's done. I'm not satisfied. I'm content, but I don't want to be complacent. I know what he can do, but I don't know what we will allow him to do. And yet they are intricately connected together. So we need to lift our hearts to the Lord. I don't want you guys to just become churchy people. I want you to hang loose, to be exciting, to believe Christ, to be on fire, to have the lost in your heart and to have the body as the primary focus for your edification. That's where it's at, people. And if we do that, God is going to just blow our minds. But we need to look at the cross and understand what it means. If not, we'll distort it. And then there'll be no power. Not in your life or in the life of the body here. God help us. May this take us to our knees and our face to the ground. 
and that we may trust Him and not our own flesh, that we may communicate the gospel and not man's philosophies. I pray that God deal with your heart and mind. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing out important simple truths for followers of Christ that we see demonstrated at the foot of the cross from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truths message titled, The Cross of Christ, are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is simply, The Cross of Christ, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 